Welcome to the Anchor Note Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is Better Decisions, Part 2, The Legacy Question, featuring Michael Davis. So I got this book for all of our graduates in May, and I got a copy for myself, and I read it. And uh, then I actually got to do like a little cohort uh, interim thing uh, with uh, North Point Church this summer, which was really exciting. And so I've, I've been kind of saving this up. And it's, it's a great book. If, if, if you need a good book to read, this is a really, really good book. Um, but what, what I found in it is that the, the only way, the only way to be have a better future is to decide your way there. That's really the only way to have a better future. Our our decisions are are so important to us. And it's our decisions, it's not our intentions. Good decisions, not good intentions, determine our direction in life, right? Where we're going and what path we're on, yeah, some people were involved in it and some people put some kinks in the plan and some people caused some bumps in the road, but ultimately, even our responses to those bumps in the road are decisions, and so we decided our way there. So how, how do we decide our way to a good future, to a bright future, to who we, who we want to be and where we want to go? Well, we have to ask good questions, right? Good questions lead to good decisions. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series. We need some filters. We need some, some ways that we can hit pause and, instead of go. And we need to be able to make good decisions. Good decisions because that means fewer regrets. And we know, we learned this last week, our, our decisions uh, don't just affect us, they affect other people, right? There's no private decision that doesn't become public. Every decision that we make eventually has a, a, a public outcome. And so last week, I led you guys through the first question. The first question was this. It's the integrity question. The integrity question is, is am I being honest with myself? Really? Because that really is really important. Because am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? Or am I talking myself into some things? Am I deciding myself into some things that I shouldn't be a part of? Places I shouldn't be. Relationships I shouldn't be in. When I understand the motives of why I'm deciding what I'm deciding, well, then I can get to the heart of the matter. And that's where God wants to meet us at, right? At the heart of the matter. He wants to change our hearts. And so it's really important that we stop before we make any decisions and ask ask myself, why am I deciding to do do this? Why am I doing this? Am I being honest with myself? Really? And so today we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about stories. And here's the thing about stories, right? Everybody loves a good story. Does anybody else love good stories? I love a good story. Like a good television show, a good 10 episode miniseries that has great writing and great lines. Oh man, I could eat that up all day, right? And even movies. I don't like stupid movies. Some of you guys, you recommend movies to me. They're stupidest movies I've ever seen, right? If you send me another halfway done Christian film, I mean, it's like I'm going to throw that VHS tape at the window, okay? But I love a good story. Like Pixar, Pixar is one of the best storytelling companies, right? It's why I love comic books, right? I love comic books. I grew up on comic books. Good, good storytelling, right? I don't care what any director says from Dune. I mean, I love, love, love good stories. But here's the other thing, too. I consider myself as a pastor a storyteller. 
I mean, I don't think of myself as a teacher. Some pastors, you know, they have like a nice pulpit up here that they stand behind, which is really just to cover in case they didn't put their zipper up is what that's for. Um, and they got their notes in front of them and everything, right? And they're like, okay, I know I'm good, all right? You know, so I don't do that. I don't do pulpit teach. I have consider myself a storyteller. And I consider myself a storyteller because Jesus was a storyteller, right? I mean, Jesus, he taught using parables. And Jesus was probably the best storyteller that ever lived. And so I love a good story. And I love telling stories. And, man... Darren, who was playing bass up here, you may or may not know, he was my college roommate. We, we knew each other in youth group back in the day, and then we were roommates in college, and I was his best man, and he was my best man, um, and his birthday is right the day before my wife's, and sometimes I get my wife's birthday mixed with his birthday, and anyway, it's a whole thing. But anyway, when we get together, because we went to college together, I mean, anybody who went to college you probably got some good college stories, right? And so when me and Darren get together, our poor wives, man, me and Darren, we just start telling stories. You know, Darren's always like, you remember when, you remember that one night? And I'm like, don't tell that story, all right? My kids are old enough to listen to that now, right? But I love a good story. As a matter of fact, do you, do you want to hear one of my college stories? Yes. Do you want to? Larry Ware is already giggling in the front row. He's like, where in the world is he? All right, well, I'm going to tell, tell you a good college story. Let's get the, story, the storytelling stool here, okay? Um, now, I could tell you about the one about the guy who spent an entire year living across from us who made a, an entire suit of armor out of chain mail by needling it together. I could tell you the story about that guy. I could also tell you the story about the guy who was in, so in love with the show house. You remember the show house, the doctor? He bought a cosplay replica cane and somehow in the middle of the semester developed a limp and started talking and acting and walking like House, okay? I could tell you that story. I could also tell you how Chainmail Guy and Dr. House Guy are the same guy. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, but I'll tell you the story about Handsome Rob, okay? Handsome Rob, the funny thing about Handsome Rob was he wasn't handsome at all. Um, it's just a nickname we gave him because we'd watched the Italian job. But anyway, Handsome Rob was not a handsome guy. He was kind of a duber. Um, and somehow he found a girl who liked him. I know that sounds a bit harsh, but stay with me till the end of the story. So Handsome Rob found a girl that liked him by the grace of God. And he decided at some point that he wanted to marry this girl. Um, and he wanted to ask for her hand in marriage. And so he wanted help doing this. Because you remember in college, like proposing was a really, really big deal, right? Now, now I'm about to turn 34 here in a couple weeks, and now I would tell you, if you're thinking about, you know, getting married or proposing to somebody, I would just tell you, get it done and make it cheap. That's been my advice now. But in college, right, like, you need a good story. It's got to be a big deal, you know, the day you asked, you know, that person to marry you. And so, handsome Rob came to us and goes, I need you and Darren's help pulling something off that I want to do. And we all helped each other do that, you know. And so, we're like, oh, of course, handsome Rob, what do you need? He goes, all right, so here's what I want to do. I rented a white van with a sliding door. Okay. I'm with you so far, but I'm afraid of where this is going. Okay, so when she gets out of class, I want to pull up the white van, and I want to grab her. Okay, and then what I want to do is I want to chloroform her and knock her out and put a hood over her head. Now, again, you might think that this is a, a preacher story because preachers lie a lot, just so you know. Um, but then he actually pulled the chloroform out of his, uh, out of his pants, and he had, he had a bottle of chloroform. So we're like, okay, this is serious. We're like, all right, we're with you, handsome Rob. What comes next? All right, so anyway, when she comes to, she's sitting in a dark room, kind of like this, with just like one light beaming over her head, right? And around her, you guys are surrounding her like druids with dark hoods and robes oh, standing over her, right? 
and she's tied to the chair with her hands behind her back. Okay. <laughs> okay, handsome Rob. I'm counting four felonies so far. Keep going, all right? So he's like, then I come out, and I'm in a red robe with a red hood dripped over me. And then I come down, and I get on one knee, and I ask her to marry me. Now, what do you think that Darren and I did? I know you think I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid, okay? We said, Rob, that's, that's, that's ludicrous. We're not going to be able to, to do that for you. So anyway, we nixed the plan. Uh, we made him return the van. Um, we threw away all of the hoods and made sure he didn't use that chloroform on anybody. And uh, how it actually went down is he asked her over to the dorm rooms one Friday night to watch a movie. And uh, she said, will you pick the movie? And he decided to use the movie Knocked Up. And he put the ring inside and said, here, you open the DVD. And she opened it up, and there was the ring. That's how they got engaged. So uh, now, story's not over yet, all right? <laughs> As you can tell, handsome Rob was a keeper, all right? I mean, this is a guy that you want to have children with, for sure. Um, so fast forward six months later, they broke up, and the engagement was called off because handsome Rob cheated on her with one of his um, co-workers at McDonald's because he worked in the fast food line. That's how the story actually ended. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what. When you work at McDonald's, that's just, if you're looking for the love of your life, go work in the drive-thru of McDonald's, kids. That's, that's where it really, really happens. But my point is, is that everybody loves a good story, right? Everybody loves a good story. But here's the other thing, too. When it comes to your story, everybody wants a good story. Because here's what you may or may not realize, is that one day, your life is going to be simplified to just that, a story. It will be a story to tell. Your kids, your friends, your church, your community, the people you worked with, your coworkers, your employees. One day, your life will be simplified into a story. And I'd be willing to bet, whether you're a Christian or not, that every single one of us, we want a good story. Another way to put it would be our legacy. We want a, a good legacy because our legacy is like the story that we leave behind. And if we have a good legacy, if we have a story that we leave behind, then, then what happens? I mean, that means we had a life of purpose. That means our life was meaningful. It means it wasn't pointless. And so we want to leave a good story. We want to leave a good legacy. And that is what is leading us to our, our second question today, the second, third chapter of this book. Everyone wants a good story, so the question is the legacy question. What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? And that's the thing I want you to realize, is that every decision that you make eventually becomes a story. It's a story that sometimes you have to tell. It's a story that sometimes somebody else has to tell for you. And you're going to want a good story. So the question is, is, you know, what story do you want to tell? And you get put in that situation all the time, right? I mean, sometimes when people ask you, like, how did you end up at this job? How did you move here? How did this happen? So tell me, how did you guys meet, right? And a lot of our stories that we tell, it starts with this. It all started when, right? It all started well, when, or it all went downhill when, or it all got really good when. And we tell either a story of success, or we tell a story of defeat, or we tell a happy story, or we tell a sad story. And we start with, it all started when, because we know that there was a point where things made a turn. It's almost the beginning of the chapter. It's the prologue. It's the beginning situation, right? But really, when we say it all started when, what we're really saying is this, it all started when I decided to. 
See, it didn't just happen, and it didn't just come out of nowhere. Yeah, there were surprises in life, and there were things that we were put through. But the thing is, is even when we get put through things that we weren't expecting, it all starts when we decide how we respond. It all started when. Now, now here's the thing. At the end of your life, it will be nothing more than a story. So, so this is my, my, my question to you. It's this. When this is nothing more than a story to tell, what story do I want to tell? What, what story is it that you want told? What story is it that you want your kids to tell? What do you want your, your legacy to be? Now, here's the problem. The problem is that with every single decision, it's emotionally charged. There are emotions attached to every single decision that we make. And here's the thing we know about emotionally charged situations. In emotionally charged decision-making environments, we think in terms of our options not our story. Let that set in for just a minute. When we are in emotionally charged environments, we think in terms of options, not our story. When you're in that situation where you have to make a decision and you think that, you think, I, I have to make a decision, we don't think in terms of our story. We think, well, what are my options? I'll give you one that I've seen played out so many times. Maybe this is even part of your story or maybe your parent's story or somebody you know's story. Uh, you take a woman or, a woman or a man who, who's in an abusive relationship. An abusive relationship, a relationship that they should not be in any longer. And what do they do? They have to make a decision, but they think in terms of options. And they go, well, I, I could leave. That's option one. Or I could stay. And the thing is, if I leave, well, then I'm not going to have a place to live. And then I don't have a job right now. And I don't have a way to pay my bills. And we've got these kids together. And we've invested two. You know, we've already got two kids together. And we're, we're so invested. And we're so far. And so, man, if I choose to leave, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's an option. I think I have to stay. And I think I have to go through the, the verbal and the physical abuse. And I think I have to stay in this relationship. I guess, really, when it comes down to options, that's my only option. But what do we all know? The kids who lived in that household, the kids who went through that, who went through that, one day when we're old enough, we don't tell about mom's option or dad's options. What do we do? We tell a story. We tell a story of the household that we grew up in. And we tell a story of how bad it was and how mom or dad, they had a chance to get out of this relationship. They had a chance to leave. They had a chance to save themselves and save me. But they were too afraid. They weren't brave enough. They didn't think it was possible. They didn't know how to do it. And so instead, we stayed. And they suffered through it. And I suffered through it. And it's become part of who I am today. See, eventually, everything becomes a story. Which is why, from the beginning, we can't just think of terms of options. We have to think about the story that we're telling. Because everything becomes a story. But the problem is, is that when emotions are involved, when we're in these emotionally charged environments, well, emotions, emotions focus on the immediate, not the ultimate. Emotions, we, we feel like we're under the gun. We feel like we have to make a decision now. We can only see so far ahead of us. And so emotions, they make us kind of become short-sighted in a way. And we focus on the immediate and not the ultimate. It, help, it kind of hinders us from thinking about the story that's going to be told one day. And the problem is, the bad news, is that there are, there are no emotionally charged neutral-making decisions. Every decision that we make, every decision that we make is going to be emotionally charged in one way 
or another. So the thing that we have to learn with our emotions as we're learning to make better decisions and have fewer regrets is that strong emotional appeal, when there's strong emotional appeal, it should cause us to hit the red light instead of the green light. It should trigger us to go, wait a minute. I'm feeling really, really, really emotional. I mean, I'm feeling it. So I, I need to hit pause for just a minute because I'm angry, because I'm bitter, because I'm sad, because I am so emotionally revved up and I'm, over, I'm thinking things through and I'm making all these scenarios in my head and I'm, I'm having all these thoughts. I need to hit pause before we make a decision. And it doesn't mean that it's the wrong decision, right? When you're in emotionally charged things, I mean, and again, that's every decision you ever made. It doesn't mean you're about to make the wrong decision. It doesn't mean that that's not Mr. Right or, or Mrs. Right. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't quit your job or it doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't take that job. All it is is that you cannot trust your emotions because as we talked about last week, emotions lie to us so often. I mean, you've lied to yourself so much, you, you can't trust your gut. You can't trust your instinct. You can't trust your emotions because you've lied to you down so many bad decisions that, that you've got to hit pause. You've got to hit pause and just recognize. Hit, go to the red light and just stop. And just like that verse from Proverbs we shared last week about how the prudent, they look, they search for danger. They look both ways. They're cautious and they're wise. You have to do that to be able to consider your story. And that's what I want you to start to do. To consider your story, not just your options. Consider your story, not just your options. Consider the story that you want told. Consider the story that your kids are going to tell. Consider the story that your coworkers are going to tell when you leave. Consider your story, not just your options. And to illustrate this, I want to tell a story that you probably know if you grew up in church. And even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably saw McGee and me or a cartoon or something else on this. But you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, who's in the Old Testament. Joseph, who was given, he was, he was one of 11, 11, 11 sons. 11, 11 sons of, of, of Jacob. And, and, and Joseph was the favorite. He was the youngest, and he was the favorite. And he was given what? The coat of many colors, right? And he was given this gift. And his brothers, they hated him for it. They hated him for it because Joseph was the favorite son because he was the, 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 his mom was the favorite wife of Jacob. And so he ends up being this, this favorite son. And so his brothers decide to kill him one day. They go, you know what? Let's consider our options here, okay? We can either continue to grow up in this home and live through this nightmare and watch this kid get, you know, all the first and all the best, or we could just kill him and then it'd be done, right? So they decide to kill him, and then just the moment where it's about to happen, they chicken out. They chicken out, and they're like, they can't go through with it, and somebody finally speaks up, and they're like, you know what, maybe this is getting a little bit out of hand. And so they decide not to kill him. But what they do decide to do is they decide to put him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery, and they go back to, to Joseph's father, and they tell him that, that, that he was dead, that he was, he was mauled by a terrible animal. They take back that coat of many colors. They put blood on it, and they go, oh, sorry, your son's dead. And then in that moment, do you know what happens? And this is such a, an important part of the story that I think we skip over so many times is that Joseph's brothers become liars for life. They become liars for life. And you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about when you go through something in your life and you try to just erase it from your story. That thing that happens in your family that you guys go through, but you don't talk about it. 
You don't tell that story at Christmas. You just kind of pretend like it never happened. You just act like that, that, that doesn't exist. You just kind of shove it in the closet. You never address it. You never talk about it again. And you know what? When we go through that, when we go through those chapters, when we go through those stories, we become liars for life. And eventually, maybe it's the point when we're gone, the story is going to be told. Somebody knows the story. Somebody's going to tell the story. But that's exactly what happened to Joseph's brothers. In that moment, they become liars for life. They decide to seal up that part of the story. They're keeping a secret, and that's exactly where secrets lead. Secrets lead to dark places in the closet. And so they seal that up, they sell Joseph, and they just zip their mouths and like, we're never going to talk about this again. And so Joseph, he gets sold to a man by the name of Potiphar, the Egyptians. And, and, and he gets sold to Potiphar. And so what do you think that, that, that Joseph does? I mean, he's handed this terrible card, right? He's dealt this, this terrible thing. And you've all been through that too, right? You've been through a season of life where you were dealt a terrible hand. Something happened with the economy. You lost your job. Hey, COVID, pandemic, war. I mean, you were just handed a bad card. And you're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? And that's exactly the situation that Joseph was put in. Put in. He's like, well, now I'm a slave. I've gone from being this favored son in, in this awesome household to now being this slave. And I started, I'm starting at the bottom. I'm, just, I'm nothing but a, a, a teenager and a kid. What in the world do I do now? And you know what Joseph decided to do? Joseph decided, you know what? I'm going to make the best out of this situation. Because at the end of my life, when my life is nothing more than a story to tell, I want it to be a good story. So if this is the hand that I was dealt, if I'm going to have to be a slave, man, I'm going to be the best slave there ever was. So it's exactly what Joseph does. He, just gets going to, he decides to be the best slave there is. And pretty soon Potiphar, he notices it and he takes a liking to Joseph. And he decides to put Joseph in charge of his entire household. Joseph goes from being the lowest slave on the totem pole to being the, the highest ranking official in Potiphar's home. And he is running that place like, like a Starbucks. I mean, it is just fine-tuned and great. Everything is going good. But then, guess what happened? He gets thrown another curveball. And it comes in the form of Potiphar's wife. Apparently, Joseph was a good-looking young man. Because Potiphar's wife started to have a little bit of a thing with him. And so she actually wanted to have an affair with Joseph. Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph and she's like, sleep with me, boy. You're my slave. This is what I want you to do. And again, we, you understand that the seat, the position that Joseph is in, this is not a moral issue, okay? Some of us, we look at the story and we think of this as a moral issue. Like, oh, he's got this terrible decision. Does he sleep with this man's wife or, 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 or does he not? But really, this was a, you got to think, this is a life or death situation. Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't sleep with Potiphar's wife, he knows full well he is dead. This is a manipulative woman. If he doesn't sleep with her, he is a dead man. So again, if he were thinking in terms of options, he would go, okay, I sleep with her, but I live. I don't sleep with her, I'm dead. What would you do, right? I mean, that's what happens when we think in terms of options. And some of us, that's how we end up in the bad situations that we end up in. And you tell the story, and somebody tells a story, and you go, well, what would you have done? What was I supposed to do? The thing that you should have done is considered your story, not your options. And that is exactly what Joseph does. Even though he's in a place where it's a bad option, he wants his life to be a good story told. So he decides against it. And he goes to Potiphar's wife, and this is what he says. He says, he refused 
He says, he says, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than me. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now, I'll translate this for you into common terms. He, he says to her, he goes, are you nuts, woman? Okay. I was sold into slavery. I was at the bottom. Now I'm here. All right. And now I'm in charge of this household. And your husband, he trusts me. He loves me. He treats me like one of his own. He has given me everything except for you, rightfully so. So why in the world would I screw that up? Do you think that that's the story that I want to tell? Do you think that's what I want my life to be? Is that I was sold into slavery and because I was hardworking and by God's grace, I was put in a good situation. I was given and blessed a good life, and I screwed it all up because I decided to sleep with you because I was scared of what you would do. That's not the story I want to tell. That's not the story I want shared. That's not what I want my legacy to be. And then he says this to her. He says, how then? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You know, for some of us, we only think in terms of our options. And we think, well, I had to. I had no other choice. It was too good of a deal, but, uh, but it just, I, I wanted to so bad, but it felt so good, but it felt so right. But the thing is, is we've got to stop thinking in terms of just our options and start thinking about our story and have the guts, have the courage to be willing to live with the bad options, even if it means dying, because it will guarantee a better story. It will consider a better legacy. I mean, do you, do you, do you want to live as a coward or do you want to die as a hero? This is the, f- the question that Joseph was faced with. And you know what happened? Exactly what he thought was going to happen. Potiphar's wife, she, she tries to, to rape Jason, Joseph pretty much. Tears off his clothes, and then when everybody responds to the commotion, she, she claims that Joseph tried to do something to her. And so what, what do you think happened? I mean, Potiphar, just as Joseph knew what happened, he, he, he took Joseph and he, he threw him into the dungeon where he was guaranteed to die. And once again, Joseph is in a situation where it looks like it's not going to get any better. And again, you've been here. You've been to that place. You've been through that sad chapter, and then things have gotten really good. And you're like, that's it. We're moving on up. Everything is okay. Everything's going to get better. This is, this, the, you know, this, we're right around the corner from having the big victory here. And then something else gets thrown your way. And because you opt to have a better story, you end up back at the bottom. Sometimes you end up worse than you even were. And what do you do? You think, well, that's it. It's over. I, that, we can't do this anymore. That's it. What, we're never, never, it will never be the same again. That's it. You know what? We, we will not, I'll never get married again. That was it. I had a divorce. I thought it was really good. We went through that valley. Now we're divorced. That's it. I, I'm probably never going to meet anybody ever again. I'll probably never get married again. Or you know what? That's it. We went through that fertility treatment. We went through this. We got no answers. And then, you know, it seems like this is the end of the road. There's no way we're ever going to be able to have a family. This is it. We're done. Or I lost my job, and we lost all these money, all this money, and I got fired, and this is the story and, and everything, and that's it. I mean, th- that, th- this is the end of me. I will never recover from this. We've all been in that situation. We've all been through that story where we thought that this is it. But jo- and Joseph was there. But Joseph decided. He decided. He made a decision 
to change things around. And that's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear this. It's our responses, which are decisions, that make the difference in how the story actually ends. The world doesn't get to decide when your story is over. Your friends, your enemies, Satan does not get to decide when your story is over. You get to decide when your story is over, and you get to decide how the story ends. And that is exactly what Joseph did. Because he was in a prison, and guess what? He befriended uh, the, the prison ward. And then guess what? Within a couple years... He was running the prison. <laughs> he was the prison ward's second-in-command. So he went from running Potiphar's household to resin, uh, running the prison with the prison ward, and it took years. And I want you to hear that. That's such an important detail of this story. It took years. So if you are in the valley right now or if you are in the prison cell and you are thinking this is the end of it, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better, remember, your story is much broader and bigger than you can imagine. Sometimes it takes times. Sometimes we read these stories of Joseph and it's like the next verse. And then it got all better, right? But the thing is, is it took years. And for you, the valley that you're in, the season that you're in, I want you to hang on to hope and realize that it may take years. But it is possible. But it, sometimes it takes years of good decision on top of good decision on top of good decision on top of good decision to be able to climb out of that hole. But it is possible. So Joseph does that. Decision on top of good decision on top of good decision. He climbs out of that hole. He runs the prison. And then he starts to interpret dreams. God gives him this gift of interpreting dreams. And then guess who has a dream that needs interpreting? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the highest person there is, the highest ranking person there is, has a dream. And guess what? None of his magicians know what it means. But the prison ward hears about Pharaoh needing help, and he goes, oh, I, got, I got a guy. And so Joseph, he gets brought, brought to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him his dream, and God helps him interpret the dream. And he understands exactly what it means. He goes, well, here's the deal, Pharaoh. So what's going to happen is, is you're going to have seven years of unbelievable harvest. They lived off of grain. Grain was such an important thing back in that day. It was the, the staple of everybody's, everybody's health and, and food. And so he goes, you're going to have seven unbelievable years, like the best seven years you've ever had. But don't get your hopes up because then you're going to have seven years of drought, and it's going to be really, really bad. So he says it would be really, really wise if somebody managed this for you, if somebody took the seven good years that you're going to have and were able to store that up and prepare for the seven bad years you're going to have. I'm not going to tell you how to run your kingdom, Pharaoh, but I'm just telling you, if it were me, I'd put somebody in charge of that, and they should probably, you know, build some silos and run this like a business and, and prepare for this because it's going to be really good, but it's going to also be really bad. And so Pharaoh, this is, this is what he says. So, so Pharaoh asks, hmm, can we find anyone like this man, one, in, one whom the Spirit of God is with? Remember, Pharaoh is... He is not a Christian. He is not a follower of God. But he, he is curious because his magicians, they had no answers. They had no hope. But Joseph, he seems to. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, he says, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. And then it tells us in the, the very next verse, he says, You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph, 
he gets put in the situation. Remember where he started, okay? He started as a teenage boy. And about 15 years have passed now, okay? 15 years of this up, down, good, bad, trying to work his way to the top, trying to hustle. And now he is in this place where he is the second in command to the entire region. I mean, he, it's Pharaoh and it's him, which puts him above everybody. And so he gets put in this situation, and he gets in charge of this project, and he runs a tight ship. I mean, it, he does so well with it. He gets through the seven years of prosperity. He ends up building grain silos and federal reserves, and then come the seven bad years. And so everybody flocks into the kingdom to be able to get grain and to get food from these, these federal reserves. And guess who they all have to go through? Joseph. And guess who ends up coming through and has to go through Joseph. Joseph's brothers. Now, it's an interesting scenario, right? It's, it's a situation, I mean, what would you do, right? I mean, you've, you've been in that situation, right, where you've been wronged by somebody at work, or you've been wronged by a family member, and I mean, they really put you through the ringer, they hurt you, and you were a little bitter, or maybe that friend, right, they, were, they did something, they did wrong by you, and then they need something, Right? And they come knocking at the door, and you're like, well, 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 look how the turntables have turned. <laughs> so, you need grain, you say. Oh, you need help, you say. Oh, you need my prayers, you say. Well, they come for a price, right? I mean, we've all been there, and you all love it, right? I mean, that little bit of, like, revenge, you're like, I knew this day would come, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, you can get so sucked into it because it's like now you can finally have your revenge, right? Now you can finally put them in their place. Now you can really show them, right? And Joseph, he was put in that scenario. He was put in that situation. He, he brought them in front of him, and they didn't even recognize Joseph. They didn't even understand who he was. But they were so humble, and they were so in need. And then finally, Joseph reveals who he is. And I mean, those guys had to poop their pants. I mean, they were like, oh, man. Oh, dude. Oh, buddy. Oh, man. Oh, somebody say something quick. I mean... We are going to get killed so bad. He's going to make us into monkeys or something. I mean, this is going to be bad, right? I mean, we would all think that. But do you know what Joseph does? Not even for an instant does he rub it in their face. Joseph, he chooses grace over bitterness. He decides, he makes the decision to love them, to show them mercy. He, 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 he takes what God meant for bad and he knows that it's meant for good. And he, he ends up helping them and actually inviting them back to the kingdom and, and, and taking care of them. And not only does he say, end up being the savior and the hero of his own family, he ends up saving everyone. The whole kingdom prospered because of Joseph and what he did and the work that he did. And that's, that's why we're telling his story today. He decided. He decided a story worth telling and that's why we're telling his story. Because around so many different corners, he could have decided to be the villain, but he, he chose. He chose to be the hero. And he responded, not just with his options in sight, but with his story in front of him. It's a story. It's a story Joseph decided. But it's a story he decided one decision at a time. Again, here's my question to you. What story do you want to tell? Uh, last year, 
I got my wife, I don't like to brag, but I got my wife a pretty cool Mother's Day present. <laughs> Guys, get out your phones. You're going to want to write this down. Uh, I found this website called StoryWorth. Have you ever heard this, StoryWorth? Um, so I signed her up for uh, a subscription, and then what happened was is every week for a year, Kate was emailed uh, a question. Um, and with each question, she told a story. Some of the, the questions I picked, some of the questions I could even write, some of them were automated. Um, and so she got all these questions in an email, and then she would respond back in the email, and she would tell a story. So she would get questions like, um, you know, when did you decide you, you wanted to have kids, and why did you, why did you want to have kids? Uh, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? What's the hardest thing you've ever gone through? And so she got all these questions for a year, and then whenever she finished it, it compiled um, all of these stories together into a hardback book, and Kate was able to add pictures. And so now we have this hardback book in our living room called Kate's Stories, and one day we'll gift it to Kate or to Braden and Olivia, and it'll, they'll be able to know a little bit more about their mom and, and be able to hear the stories um, from Kate. And so we finally got the book in the mail uh, a couple weeks ago, and I started to go through it. And my wife, she just, she's so candid, right? I mean, she was real honest and real open about it. And she, she tells, some, she tells some, some valleys that she went through. She told some people who threw some, some curveballs at her, and she's very candid. And, you know, I was amazed looking at this story. And I was, I was looking at these stories that she wrote that I hope someday mean a lot to our kids. And, I mean, it's, it's such a good story, you know? And... And my wife, she, she, she has so many good stories to tell because she's, she's been a woman of Christ and she's loved God and she's followed God and she's given Jesus her life and I'm so proud of her. But I know one day that my kids will read those stories and fall in love with them, fall in love with her a little bit more. And, I, you know, for us, the thing that Kate and I really try to focus on is you know, we, we, we want our kids to look up to us. We want, our kid, we want to be our kids' heroes. We don't want them to look up to celebrities or, or people out there through a screen. We, we want them to look at us and go, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom. You know, for, for us, one day we, we, we always are very honest with our kids about what will happen one day. And, and, and for me, what I want most out of my life is I, is I hope one day when I pass away that people just line up to go to my kids and, and to tell them a story, <laughs> to tell a story worth telling. I hope people stand up and go to my kids and say, I want to tell you about the time your daddy did this for me. I want to tell you this time about your daddy. He was there for me. Your daddy, he answered the phone call, and he, he helped me through this situation, and he prayed for me, and these are the words he gave me. I, I, that's what I want at the end of my life. I want my life, when my life is nothing more than a story to tell, I want there to be a good story to tell. And I don't want there to be any chapters that we all have to pretend don't exist. I don't want there to be any chapters that we skip over and we go, well, we don't, we don't, we don't talk about that. That was, a, that, was a bad, that was a bad one. And the only way I can do that is to, to decide my way there, to decide myself to a good story to tell. Now, some of you in this room or some of you watching or, or listening online or, or listening in your car right now, you hear that and you go... And that's my hang-up. That's my problem. That's something I think about all the time, Pastor, is I've, I, I have some stories that are in my closet 
There are some areas of my life where I have become a liar for life. There are secrets and things we don't talk about and things we don't tell. Actually, right now in the middle of this, I'm in the midst of writing a story that I, I hope it never gets exposed. I hope it just stays in a folder and gets locked away in a cabinet and nobody ever knows about it. And I don't know how to change this thing around. I don't know how to turn things around. I don't know, I don't know what to do. This is, this is one of my things is I think I'm a disappointment in life. I think I'm a bad mother or a bad father or a bad husband or a bad wife or a bad son or a bad daughter. And, and I just, I feel like my story, it's not going to be worth telling. It, it's, I, I'm, I'm trash. I'm garbage. I don't feel good about myself at all. And, and here's what I would want you to hear from me today, whether you're a Christian or not, is that Remember that every, every chapter of your life is just that. It's a chapter. And chapters can close and a new one can open. And here's what we all know. Is, as, as people who are lovers of good stories, here's what we all know. Everyone likes a good redemption story. Everybody loves a good redemption story. Everybody loves a story of the villain who turned hero of the bad guy who turned good as the person who didn't have it in him to get things done but turned a corner and answered the call. That's a good story. That's a good redemption story. And you know what? That could be your story too. Just like Joseph, through the help of Jesus Christ, by making the decision to follow Jesus and to give him your life, and choosing to use his teachings and his law of loving God and loving your neighbor to make better decisions. And then it won't happen in an instant, but good decision on top of good decision on top of good decision. It writes us a story. And it writes a story that someday will be worth telling. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to decide something. I want you to decide a good story. One decision. At a time. We used to, I was trying to explain to CJ what hymns were this week. Uh, <laughs> we used to sing a hymn called Blessed Assurance. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. What do you want your story to be? Your story can become a good story, even if it's not a good story now. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you so that your past story could be wiped away, so that that chapter could be closed, and you could write a new one. You could write a new, fresh beginning and say, but then Jesus came into their life. And one decision at a time, they became who God wanted them to be. They became the father. They became the mother. They became the son and the daughter. They became the man. They became the woman who God wanted them to be. And that is my prayer for you. And that is my hope for you. And that is what we are here as Anchored Hope Church to help you do. To write a good story. A story that's worth telling. Can I pray for you this morning? Father God, we come to you this morning so thankful 
for your grace and your goodness, your mercy for me. Father God, would you help me to tell a good story? The decisions that I make, they're writing a story, and one day I want it to be a story worth telling. Father God, this morning as, as I listen to the story of Joseph, as I listen to these words, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that the only way to, to write a good story is to follow you. It's to not just consider my options, but to consider the story. The story that you have hoped for me, that you have wanted for me, but you have left in my hands to decide. You've given me free will. You've given me You've given me the ability to decide my way there, and you want me to do it. You want me to decide my way there to love myself enough, to love you enough, to love others enough, to decide a good future for myself. So God, this morning, we put our faith in you. We ask you for our help, for your help. God, would you help us to decide today to tell a good story? You've done many miracles in my life and other people's lives around me. God, would you do a miracle in me? Would you, would you write another chapter as you've written so many miraculous stories? Do something in me today, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. If you would like to leave a donation, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to speak with someone from Anchored Hope, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash high. Thank you for listening and God bless.